Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast. And welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, in the tradition of throwing curveballs, what do you expect fastballs? We talked about this pre-show, but Mike Krzyzewski is retiring. But what if he wasn't retiring and announced he was taking the Purdue head coaching job? How would you, how would you Dylan Hughes, feel about that? Hmm, interesting. Interesting. I feel like, I, I feel like Matt Painter's on the brink, man. He's been building up. For years, he finds the gems. He turns them into good players. All Coach K does is he gets these one-and-dones that, oh, I'm going to be in the league next year. I'm going to use Duke as a springboard. Listen, man, the Purdue Boymakers, they're all in. They're coming for at least two years, a lot of them. Even the best guys are staying three years for the most part. Carson Edwards saying he until he was a junior. Granted, he sucked his first two years, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think, uh, he can come as an assistant. That's fine. Matt Painter has carved himself out a role. I would say as, uh, one of the better coaches in, uh, college basketball, one of the most consistent guys. I mean, they're in the tournament every year. They're always a decent bet to make a run. Obviously this past year was not a good case of that, but, uh, it was a young roster. So I don't know. He, he can sit on the bench. He can draw up some plays. But this is Matt Painter's show. And the Matt Painter show is one we all we all want to attend. Unfortunately, we can't stick on this topic for too long because we got folks, we got a lot to talk about. And first, I think we, I, Dylan, I don't think there's really any other place we can start other than the situation in Boston. We haven't really done news the last couple of weeks because there hasn't been much news to discuss. But this is, like, massive. So Danny Ainge... Okay, he of uh, the, you know, Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, um, bring her together, I suppose. I, I, that's a, probably a weird way to put it, but fuck it. Um, you know, he did the, uh, obviously, the Paul Pierce and KG trade with the Nets. He had a pretty good run. He stepped down. And then Brad Stevens stepped down as the head coach to take over as the president of basketball operations. Um, there was a report that came out today that said Stevens was pretty much tired of coaching after the bubble. He's been grinding his whole life, basically. So I, I don't know how president of basketball operations is a step back from that grind exactly, but you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Dylan Hughes, a lot to break down here. Why don't we start with, why don't we start with Danny Ainge? I know we've maligned him for the, you know, like really the better part of a year, but he was consistently one of the best general managers in basketball for the better part of 17 years. Yeah, I mean, he had a great run. And as much as we've shat on the Celtics recently, and for fair reasons, I'll maintain, they, I mean, they've been great, you know, pretty much for the past 10 years. I mean, was Marcus Smart their only lottery pick that they actually earned? Yeah. Yeah, like the the Tatum and Brown picks were both from the Nets. And yeah, by the way, so he gets he gets KG and Paul Pierce, or they they already have Paul Pierce, but he gets KG, you know, gets a couple titles out of him. 
ships him off to Brooklyn for the biggest uh, trade heist of all time, you know, gets, gets their two guys that they still have now that are going to hopefully for them be on that team for the next 10 years at least. And, you know, keep them in contention, gets those two guys. And by the way, he had Mark, uh, Markel Fultz, but uh, passed on him for Tatum. I mean, how many teams would have done that? Like I would, I would have been fascinated to see like a pre-draft, um, you know, see who everyone in the league had in their top three. And I would love to see who had Tatum above Fultz. I mean, it, it had to be a small minority, at least just based on the media perception we got. It seemed like Fultz was by far the best guy. And if it wasn't him, it was Lonzo Ball. So that that was a great move. And Jalen Brown, I think, was a little bit of a controversial pick too. I mean, he was like – Jalen Brown, I don't think people understand because he's so good now that he was not really much of an offensive guy coming into the league. Like he, he wasn't really a great shooter. His handle was kind of iffy. Decent passer, but not great. And he has just gotten so much better year after year. He was a great defender in college. He was really smart, and that's what got him the pedigree. But, I mean, that was a little bit of a controversial pick, too. And, again, you got two guys on that team now that Danny Ainge took that are top ten players in the East at worst. So, I mean, he's done a lot of good things. And Marcus Smart has – you know, been one of their few draft picks that's kind of stuck around, but I mean, he's been really good for them in all their runs as well. So yeah, it's, uh, I don't want to say it's a tough loss for them. Cause I think he kind of lost his edge a little bit. And, you know, when you don't have top five picks, things get a lot tougher. <laughs> and I think that's part of the reason why some of these draft picks have been misses, but you know, he's in the grand scheme of things, he was great for them. Yeah, and he, you know, you talked about the drafting before, but, like, in one draft, he selected Al Jefferson, Delonte West, and Tony Allen in the first draft. Okay, that's a pretty good – and, obviously, Al Jefferson was used to get – was the main piece in the Kevin Garnett trade. Delonte West was one of the main pieces in the Ray Allen trade. And then Tony Allen, you know, didn't stick around Boston, but Tony Allen had a long and fruitful NBA career. Like, you know, going through that list, you know, just seeing what he's done, he's put them in really good positions to win. I would argue, uh, like, up until the last year. And I would say what his flaw was, was just the insistence on winning every damn trade and being like, okay, if I don't win this trade, I don't want to make it with you. You know, it's kind of become a meme at this point, but he really has almost traded for every single player in the league. Like, I almost traded for Paul George. I almost traded for... You know, and in hindsight, not pulling the trigger on those guys, I don't think – I don't know if Paul George would have stayed in Boston, and that was probably a better idea to keep Jalen Brown, right? Understandable. You know, I obviously think you shouldn't be too conservative, but there's a balance, blah, 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 whatever. And obviously Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know, have struck the right balance. And, I mean, he put together – you know, he drafted Avery Bradley, going back to the draft stuff. He drafted, you know – Obviously, Smart's a huge one. He's done pretty well for himself. Rozier was a really good draft pick. That was the first Nets pick. Obviously, that Nets trade was an all-time pantsing. And I think it's kind of ironic that the Nets are in a better place than they are right now. That's just because they had, you know, 
uber amounts of cap space and they learn <laughs> from the mistakes of Billy King. I think that all in all, you know, he won a championship. He probably could have had more if, you know, Kendrick Perkins maybe hadn't gotten hurt in 2010. You know, I still, there's been some trades he's made that I didn't understand. I didn't really understand the Kendrick Perkins trade at the time. And I still don't understand it 10 years later. <laughs> I don't know why you trade a starting big man and be like, Hey, we're going to play this fossil shack. <laughs> Hopefully he can stay healthy. Spoiler alert. He didn't. They lost in the first round that year, if I'm not mistaken. So he's had misses, but Hey, what G- what GM doesn't, if you're the GM for 17 years, all in all, I'd give him a B plus on the whole and like a C minus for the last two years. Yeah, that's probably probably fair. And it's just recency bias is always going to make it seem worse than it was, you know? Because, again, like, it's just – we literally heard about Anthony Davis for, like, two years. And as soon as time came for a trade to be made, he went to the Lakers because the Lakers were willing to put up what it took. And, like you mentioned, the Celtics always wanted – to win the trade and it's like it wasn't just about like he could never have a win-win it had to be i'm gonna fleece you that was his goal and how the hell can you do business that way who's gonna want to do business with someone that that they think is fleecing them i mean it's just not a good way to operate like this is supposed to be and yeah you're competing against guys but i mean it's it's possible to have a win-win and you still turn out better you know, that's possible. Like you gotta, you gotta look at your team and making it better. That's, that's all you should do as a team, as a GM. It shouldn't be about beating other GMs. It should be about beating other teams. <laughs> that's the point. And when you restrict yourself like that, it makes it tougher as we've seen. So, and I would be fascinated to go like the Kawhi discussions back when that was a thing, because they apparently didn't want to give up Jalen Brown. And Jalen Brown back then was not untouchable. Like, if that was really what was holding them back, I mean, they probably lost out on the title. And, you know, we'll see moving forward. Like, they still have Jalen Brown. He's gotten a lot better. But, I mean, Kawhi plugged right into that Toronto team, and, you know, we saw what happened. So, you know, it's the past few years, definitely, even though they've had some Eastern Conference Finals appearances, I mean, they've come up short. And... That's basically the way that the chapter closed for Danny Ainge. They lost Horford for nothing. They got a trade exception for Gordon Hayward, which turned into Evan Fournier. And we like Fournier, but, you know, he's been less than ideal for $17 million this year. You probably could have gotten someone like Harrison Barnes if you're willing to part with, like, an actual first-round pick. Um, Desmond Bain thing will always be damning. Like we see how well he's doing in the playoffs. We're not even going to talk about Desmond Bain today, probably, but he's playing so well for the Grizzlies in the playoffs. And then, you know, you factor in like the Kyrie situation, you know, him leaving for nothing. Um, The Kemba for Rozier trade is going to look horrible like 10 years from now, even though at the time it looked like a no brainer on the Celtics side. So it's just been a lot of mismanagement and it's going to happen. Right. And let's face it, you know, not everyone can throw 95 their whole career. Not every pitcher can throw 95 with perfect control. Hell, the guys with perfect control start to lose that control as they age. It just happens. You lose your fastball. And I think Danny Ainge lost his fastball. I don't think do we, I don't think we need to talk anymore about Ainge, do we? I think we're okay on the Ainge discussion for now. Why don't we talk about Stevens? Because this is what's fascinating to me. 
So Brad Stevens, Dylan, I don't have a ranking on hand of the coaches. I would say Brad Stevens is probably one of the 10 best coaches in the league. And I, you know, good for him, you know, for maybe finding personal happiness in a job that's probably harder than coaching. But (laughs) I, I don't, there's no way the Celtics are going to get anyone better than Brad Stevens to coach their team next year. Is there? Tough to say. I mean, again, the two guys I'm looking at just for any team, obviously I have Pacers uh, bias behind a lot of that, but Mike D'Antoni is obviously number one. And then Terry Stotts, which we've heard, could potentially be ousted. And if they lose this series after what Dame's doing, there's no way he sticks around. Just based on those rumors, I would be shocked. I mean, those two guys right there may not be better than Stevens, but they're pretty close, I would say. I mean, D'Antoni, we saw what he did at the Rockets. And listen, man, Tatum, we're going to have our top 100 discussion in a few months, but I'm telling you, Tatum is skyrocketing up the list after the series he just had. I mean, that dude is unbelievable. And he's not Harden, but I think Mike D'Antoni could figure something out with him. And Terry Stotts, like, again, the, the Blazers thing is so tough because I don't think they've done anything wrong. They've made good trades pretty much every single year. It's just they play in the West. And I think, I don't know if Terry Stotts is really the problem. I think they just have basically had a bunch of bad luck. (laughs) And Terry Stotts is probably going to lose his job because of that. And you put him in the East, I think he looks like one of the best coaches in the league. So if they're able to get one of those guys – I think you're in a really good spot. Obviously, we don't know what Brad Stevens is going to be like as an exec. And I would say it is harder to be um, an exec than a coach. But physically, it's probably better. Coaching is a lot of walking around, sitting on the sidelines. Like Danny Ainge chills up in a booth. You know, like he's he's working hard, but he's not – he's able to kind of – rest I think that's the difference and that's why a lot of like Larry Bird did the same thing you know I think when you're it just gets tiring running around the sideline for years and I think you you may have to do a lot more research and and scouting as an exec but it's probably a little bit easier on the physicality of the job so um yeah but we'll, we'll see how he is as a talent evaluator obviously but I think they could potentially find a good replacement but if it's Jason Kidd or Lloyd Pierce, then it becomes a problem. <laughs> yeah, those two are the worst possible. I, I I don't hate Lloyd Pierce as much as everyone else seems to. He obviously didn't resonate with his players. So that might not be the best hire. You can't hire Jason Kidd. <laughs> he is one of the worst possible options in the league right now. Like, I'm sorry. He sucked in Milwaukee. He sucked in Brooklyn. Hell, Brooklyn him leaving Brooklyn the way he, that he did might've been the best thing to happen to the Brooklyn Nets franchise before, you know, Katie and Kyrie got there because then it let them set up Kenny Atkinson. Then they got their, you know, Nets culture in there. And obviously things have turned out the way they've turned out. I, I don't want either of those guys. I think an interesting route they could explore is they could go the college route too. And I think a lot of people are connecting. I've seen Juwan Howard's name in there. 
And there's a very distinct possibility. Chris Holtman, the coach at Ohio State, he was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was Steven's guy at Butler. I believe he was a successor at Butler as well before he took the Ohio State job. So that could always be a possibility as well. I mean, there's a lot of different ways they could go, but they, Zach Lowe has said it before. The Celtics have mastered three-point defense. Like, they're the only team consistently able to stop threes. No one else in the league can be consistent <laughs> about stopping threes. Like, let me pull – I actually have the Boston Celtics uh, page pulled up. So, they – so, against them – so, before this year, this year was obviously really bad for them. But since he's been there, he got there in 13. They were fifth, fifth, fourth – Second, first, sixth, second on cleaning the glass. And then this year they were 20th. But this year, obviously, you know, a lot of stuff happened <laughs> to the Celtics this year. So I, I just, I don't know who they're going to get that's going to be able to coach the Celtics up to that same level, right? That's going to be able to do that. Unless Stevens is like, hey, this is the way we're running defense here. Kind of like, you know, a Phil Jackson, like when Phil Jackson went to the Knicks, they're like, hey, we're running the triangle. Here's Kurt Rambis, run the triangle. Obviously, Stevens is not Phil Jackson. <laughs> but I think that I'm going to be curious to see. I don't know what coach they can bring in that'll be able to replicate the defensive success unless Stevens is operating as some sort of pseudo defensive guru up in the stands. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you know. The thing about that is, like, not that their offense has been bad, but if you bring one of those two guys I mentioned in, you know, it may just be a defense for offense trade-off. And whether that makes them better, we'll see. But either way, this is this is the decision they've made. So uh, they're going to have to stick with it either way. And it's going to be interesting because, again, I, if you don't get one of those two guys or, or Jawan Howard, uh, which I don't know. I don't know if Jawan Howard would leave college this soon. You know, I think he's, he's done really well at Michigan and I mean, I don't know. It's, it's probably tough to find a better job than the Celtics in the NBA, but like some, some college coaches don't want to leave college. So we'll, we'll see. That would be an interesting name. Chris Holtman too. Another big 10 guy. That's been good. Uh, We'll see, but if it's not one of those four guys or someone off the board we don't know about, I just – I start to doubt it, um, whether they're going to get better. But I, I think I think they'll be fine. But, again, I think a lot of it depends on Brad Stevens' ability to do his job. Because, again, Ainge has had some misfires roster-wise, and they've got some things to fix moving forward. So we'll see what, what Stevens can do. We, we gave – obviously – Danny Ainge deserves all the flack for trading Desmond Bain. That being said, he nailed the other two first-round draft picks in 2020, I would say. You want to keep Neesmith and you want to keep Pritchard. Those guys are keepers. And hell, Romeo Langford is getting some good minutes in this. He got some good minutes in the net series. So, you know, that might not be a complete bust. Grant Williams, I think, is going to end up, you know, I always say Grant Williams is a good pick. I don't know how that's going to turn out. But then Robert Williams has been playing really well too. Robert Williams had a game with nine blocks in the first round. So, you know, the most in Celtics history, Doug Hughes, do you believe that? I, can you believe a franchise with Bill Russell? <laughs> they didn't start. Robert blocks. 
Robert Parrish is surprising, but I don't, I don't think he was athletic. He was more of like a steady banger kind of guy that they threw on Kareem, but they didn't start recording blocks till the 73, 74 season. So all of Bill Russell's career, they did not keep track of blocks. I'm sure there were some games where he had 20 blocks in a game. Um, I think we've touched on everything we need to touch on on the Celtic stories. I think we're good to move on to Embiid. Yes. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to Embiid. Embiid has a so he has a lateral meniscus tear in the um in the knee that not the knee that he's been having issues with, but the other knee. It's it's a small tear. I used air quotes there. So he's supposedly day to day. However, there's this I saw this tweet from Jeff Stocks at in street clothes that Andrew Bynum played through a meniscus tear in the 2010 playoffs and eventually underwent surgery following the title run. The knee remained an issue throughout his career. And then Patrick Beverly went through the same thing and Beverly ultimately underwent surgery. Now, Beverly is not a seven footer, <laughs> right? I would think that if there's a more likely outcome, it would be the Bynum outcome than the Beverly outcome for Embiid. I mean, Dylan, the Sixers aren't going to be conservative with Embiid, but I think this is a time where you've got to be really conservative. Yeah. I mean, so everything I've heard about meniscus tears is this side being a small tear does not mean that it's less of a big deal. I've even heard that a small tear can be worse. Um, so, you know, here's, here's the thing. A lot of people I don't think know, and, you know, as a former um, overweight man, I can attest to this, that your knees take a lot, a lot, a lot of pressure and your knees are basically holding your entire body up. Like your knees and your feet, if you weigh a lot, those are the things that hurt. Uh, Joel Embiid weighs 280 pounds. And that's a lot of pressure on your knees. And I think that's why he is having so many knee problems in his life, in his career. Like being seven foot, 280 pounds, playing basketball, your knees are going to be fucked. Like that's just the way it is. And I would like to look back at the league and think of centers. I mean, most of them have had foot or knee injuries at some point. Like that's, that's just the nature of the game. And it's the nature of being that big. And I don't think playing would be a smart for him because man, we saw Andrew Bynum. Andrew Bynum was really good. He was really, really good for a very short period of time. Because again, injuries. And yeah, that that knee thing was really tough for his career. I mean, it was like he was he was on Lakers finals teams and not long after that was sitting in the in the Cavaliers arena watching them in the finals as a fan. You know, like that's how quick it can be. And again, Embiid has had a lot of injuries and I just I just worry about him moving forward. And I don't think I don't think it's worth the risk for him to play through it because the Sixers are not winning the finals this year. They're probably not even making it. It's just not worth it. Yeah, I would lean towards that level of caution as well, just because this is your most important piece going forward. Joel Embiid is a definitive top 10 player, right? Like definitive without a shadow of a doubt the way he played this year. And you need to keep him healthy at all costs. I I would agree. It's not throwing in the towel per se, but it's like you just need to realize that this isn't going to work this year. 
because he's just he's not going to be in a position to help you enough where it's worth risking his future. Right. I would just say get it out of the way now. The problem is, is they smell championship, right? They smell championship when in reality, they're in a great position right now. And I know, you know, oh, you never know what your chances in the NBA. Hell, we've seen, you know, we've seen teams fall apart, you know, trying to do stuff like this. But I think Embiid is your cornerstone and you got to worry about him more than anything else. You can't, you're not going to get anyone as good as him. Like if you trade Simmons, if slash when you trade Simmons, you're not going to get anything as good as Embiid back, right? That's just not going to happen. So you need to protect him at all costs, You, but they're not going to. They're not going to because they smell, they smell the blood in the water. And I think that it could really, really, really backfire on them. Yeah, it's 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 scary, man, because, again, I understand this guy's having by far the best season of his career. But even with that, even if he stays healthy and doesn't have any issues, you're probably not going to win. And it could very well make that tear a much bigger deal. And it's probably going to impact next season, too. So. I don't know, man. It, it's all about risk management in, the, in sports, and this is one of those cases where they have to determine what's more important: is it winning? Is it trying to win a title this year, or is it maintaining the health of your centerpiece? You know, we'll we'll have to see. And and Bean's young enough where you could theoretically wait out, you know, the Nets, right? Because all those Nets guys, low key, Kevin Durant, I think is going to be turning thirty four this year, if I'm not mistaken. 33 or 34. He's getting up there in age. Um, and I know Kevin Durant's game is, you know, going to age like fine wine, whatever. But at a certain point, he's going to stop, you know, being as effective. Kyrie can't keep this up forever. Harden, Harden's in his 30s too, if I'm not mistaken. So you got to value the future, I think, in this instance more. Because, yeah, the Bucks will always be there. And Bede and Giannis are pretty much the same age. But, like... If you get your team better, there's no reason you can't be better than the Bucks like next year. As soon as next year, I would say. So I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's a bad situation. Yeah, and just to add on to that, I mean, I'm just fascinated with Kyrie. Like, if Kyrie retired this offseason, I just wouldn't be shocked. You know, like I don't think that would shock anyone. And that's a huge piece. And maybe he ends up being happy, but God, like the stuff he's taking with the fans right now, like just based on everything that he's done to this point in his career, if they win the finals this year, he has two titles. And honestly, I don't think he's trying to be the best player of all time. Like if I I wouldn't be shocked if he just pulled the plug, if they win this year, you know, and if it's not this year, I think it's going to be early either way. Like if he made it past 35, I'd be pretty surprised, but Again, like that's, you know, things can things can change quickly and having Embiid healthy is their only shot moving forward. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Um, I think now is a good time to move on. We're not going to talk about game. We're going to talk about all like the game threes and fours that we need to. We're not going to talk about game three of the uh, the Wizards series because, frankly, it's unnecessary. But I think that we need to discuss game four. So. 
I'll I'll talk. I'll give the score for game three. So the Sixers absolutely shit can the Wizards in game three, one thirty two to one hundred three. However, the Wizards came back and they won one twenty two to one fourteen in game four. And we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this, Dylan. But I think that I think the Sixers will close it out tonight. We're, we're recording this on Wednesday. I think I'm going to put it out on Wednesday. So I think I forgot to tell you that, but it's going to be out tonight. Um, I think the Wizards will win tonight or I think the Sixers will win tonight, but if they were playing like a normal team, I would not like the Sixers chances in game five after the, after the way they looked in game four. Yeah. I mean, again, Embiid is their major advantage. Like I, they're still uh, the better team either way. Like if you make Tobias Harris, your second best player, like you're fine against this wizards team, you know, but you got to play some really good defense. Cause this, this Wizards team can score, man. I mean, Beal, like Beal had 27 last game, which is like low for him. <laughs> it's like when I see 27, I'm like, wow, uh, kind of an off game from Beal. And Westbrook's stat line, just God bless him, man. So, okay, 19 points, 21 rebounds, 14 assists. Obviously not shocking there. Three of 19 from the field but 13 of 16 from the line. I mean, this dude is just crazy, man. Like he, he is just so reckless, but it helps him. Like his recklessness is going to make him miss a ton of layups and a ton of jumpers, but he gets to the line like no one else. And they, as a team shot 42 free throws last game. Um, The Sixers, I mean, the Sixers got to 38. So that, you know, that's pretty good, too. Uh, but, yeah, it's – and Rui, Rui having a good game uh, was great. Rui is not shooting enough. I'll say that. Rui, I've been saying this for a while. Rui is by far their third best player, and he needs to be more involved in the offense because he can, he can score from anywhere. Like, he's a good shooter, good mid-range score, good in the post – I'm not I'm a little surprised that he's not more focused in their offense, but you know, I wouldn't be stunned if this if the Wizards pulled one more out, but I would imagine that the Sixers try to turn the defense up and just end it here. Can we talk about let's just can we talk about real quick how bad Simmons and Harris were the last game? Because the role players for the Sixers last game actually really stepped up. Like Danny Green had a really good game. Danny Green had three blocks last game. And he, you know, three of eight from three. Um, I thought George Hill played a phenomenal game. Maxi went off at a certain point in that game. But Simmons only shot five times. <laughs> he got to the foul line 11 times. But they were doing hack of Simmons. They were yeah. doing hack of Simmons. And then Tobias Harris, eight of 24 from the field, one of five from three. He did have 13 boards and five assists, which is good for him, I'll say. But subpar games from the both of them. And this is like the kind of Ben Simmons you're worried about when you're coming into the postseason. Like, is this is what showed up in the 2019 Eastern Conference semis against the Raptors. This is the Ben Simmons we're all worried about. And Dylan, I, I don't think they could beat the Nets or the Bucks with Simmons playing this way, playing this passively. No. And that, that was something we were concerned about coming in that, I mean, I think Simmons, this has probably been Simmons best year all around, but his offense is just not like it's I think his reputation mostly hinges off his defense being elite. 
his offense, it just, he leaves a lot to be desired and that's not a new thing, but this year, especially he's had a lot of games where he's just not shot much. And, you know, it's, it's worrisome because again, with MB not there, like he's got to be a guy offensively and I don't think he wants to be. (laughs) So it's, it's definitely going to be interesting. I mean, I don't think they're beating the Bucks or Nets either way, even if they're completely healthy and Simmons, Simmons would have to be outstanding for them to have a chance. But yeah, I, I'm not, um, I'm not too high on their short-term outlook coming up here. Yeah. It's not looking pretty for them. Um, Tobias just, he was trying, but he's not a first option. He's really not. And we saw he was feasting the first three games because he was playing off Embiid. And credit to him, right? Like, I think that Tobias is a keeper now. Like, I'll, I'll say that. I'm like, okay, you can keep Tobias and he'll, you know, do his job next to Embiid. But if Embiid's not there, he got exposed because they were just trapping the shit out of him. You, ha- you don't have to guard Simmons if he's on the perimeter at all. And then Curry, Seth Curry went 0 for 4 from 3 that game. Not great. And then, like, you know, you have to play Tybal a lot more. Tybal actually shot good from 3 that game. But it's going to be a lot more Dwight Howard, my, a lot more Mike Scott. Uh, it's just not looking good for the Sixers right now. I, I just, I don't, I don't think we really need to add anything else. I'm, unless you have anything else to add about this series. Oh, let's talk about Daniel Gafford for like one quick second. He's been phenomenal in this series, even when Embiid was playing. Like really good, really good minutes from Gafford. Yeah, I said last week, I mean, he's done a really good job defending Embiid, I think. He's really strong. Like, he he had five blocks this past game, too. I mean, I just – I think he's a really, like, natural low-post center. And, again, like, he's he's in the group of centers that's, like, not game – I mean, he I would say he's game-changing, but he's like Rashawn Holmes, you know? Like, he's not going to change your life, but he's just a really solid guy. And when you have good guys around him, it just works. And again, man, they got really lucky that, that trade happened the way it did because they they majorly upgraded. I mean, they came into this season. I mean, Thomas Bryant, we both like him, but the rest of their center situation was just not good. I mean, I think they picked Alex Lennup up midseason, but like Robin Lopez, you know, Robin Lopez is probably four years past when he was still a decent guy to have around. I mean, he he's, like, not bad. Like, he was 8 of 11 from the field this past game. It's just – he's just kind of an old-school guy. And, you know, Gafford just gives you a lot on both ends. I mean, he's a great role guy. Again, really good low-post defender. So, I've, I've really loved watching him. Yeah, he's been – he's been phenomenal. I think other than maybe Aaron Gordon, he's been probably the best trade deadline acquisition. I don't really think it's been close. Like Vooch obviously was really good in Chicago, but man, the the difference that Gafford made in Washington, like as soon as he got there and he's still doing it in the playoffs, I think the Rashawn Holmes comparison is spot on, but I think he'll be better than Rashawn Holmes. Yeah. I think there's a lot to his game that that he still has yet to add. And I think, you know, he's going to put on muscle. He's not going to be like a string bean, like, like Rashawn Holmes, you know, he's a really good center, but he's like, he's a string bean. I think Gafford will put on weight. Like he has that kind of body where it seems like he'll put on a lot more weight. And I think, you know, he's been just out of this world in this series. Anything else on the Wizards um, Sixer series before we move on? No, 
I'm okay. happily uh, done with that. Are we? So, okay. I'll, I'm going to make you predict though. So, okay. Next week, I should have probably said this at the top. Dylan Hughes is going to be out of town. I'm going to have Caleb Lynn fill in at the power hour for Dylan Hughes next week. So Dylan, is this series, how many games is this series going and who wins for the, between the Sixers and the Wizards? Hmm. I kind of want to give the Wizards a game tonight, but I'll say I'll say that's all they get. So Sixers and four, uh, six, I guess. Six. Be. I think since the Sixers are at home tonight, they'll win tonight. So I'm going Sixers and five. If it was a home game for the Wizards tonight, I'd probably go Wizards. But I think that they're they're on the road. So we all know young teams struggle on the road, and obviously Beal and Russ aren't young, but the rest of the team is. So I'll go Sixers. All right, now Dylan, I will let you choose which series would you like to discuss next. Oh, you know I'm salivating at the Knicks-Hawks series right now. All right, let's go then. So the Hawks have won the last two games since we've done our last pod. And by the way, two games. We recorded our last pod on Thursday. Two games in a week. Not preferable, NBA. Not preferable, but obviously they're playing all these games tonight. So, you know, if if we were able to record tomorrow like we usually do, we would have had three games in a week, but, you know, Time constraints, I have to respect Dylan Hughes' time constraints. So game three, the Hawks won 105-94. to And game four, the Hawks won 113-96. to Dylan, what is your grand takeaway from these two games? Trey Young is here, man. I mean, I think the Hawks have been all around good as a team. I think since last week, the role guys that we were kind of worried about have been a lot better. I mean, John Collins coming off a good game. DeAndre Hunter, man, I'm telling you, he's going to be a star. Like, game three especially, I think he made some really big plays on both ends of the floor. Capella has gotten a lot better. He was kind of he was kind of quiet early on. He's been a lot better. Um, Gallo stepped up. Like, these – Herter, love Herter. He's been better too. I mean, all, all these guys have kind of come up to help Bogey and Trey Young, but Trey Young is the star, man. Like, he – he has so much confidence, and he ha- he is just – the thing I love about this team since they got rid of Pierce is his game just does not rely on threes at all. Like, he's – he is a, like he only shot six threes in game three. Game four, he shot 14, but they were up so much, it's like, who cares? Like, he, he doesn't need that. He His game has become a lot more inside the arc, I'd say, and obviously his passing is so good, but he's like – man again it's like this top 100 is is tough i'm just like trying to think in my mind ahead of time like where's trey young gonna fall because again he's not even close to a top five point guard in my mind but like he's in the conversation for top 10 he he may fall just a bit out of that because again point guard is so deep being outside the top 10 is not it doesn't sound as bad as it really is or it doesn't sound as bad as it seems yeah so i mean he's he's like bursting onto the scene man like these these kind of series are what really makes you believe in a guy like we had it with Jokic a couple years ago last year with donovan mitchell uh right now with john morant too who we're gonna get to but trey young man he's he's becoming one of those guys would you like to know where i have preemptively ranked trey young and he is going to rise because there is one big faller from my uh from my list. Would you like to know where I have Trey Young ranked? Yes. I have him right now at 22nd. Okay. So he is going to jump because 
Bam Adebayo is going to massively fall. <laughs> like he is going to tumble, tumble, tumble down the rankings. And that's going to be tough. So I think right now I'm projecting him at 21. And if he keeps this up, he could jump to above Simmons. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think I'll, I think, so right now I have Simmons 20, Booker 21, Trey Young 22, Mitchell 23, Jalen Brown 24, Rudy Gobert 25. I think that I would put probably Bam between Mitchell and Brown right now. <laughs> Bam was really bad in these playoffs. And if you want to hear the coverage on that, um, go listen to the Lynn Sanities. They've ripped Bam a new one multiple times, including myself. But Trey's been phenomenal. And I think he's chucking. Like in game four, he resorted to the chucking a little bit. But he, man, the way he carves up the defense. <laughs> The way that he, you know, can get wherever he wants with his dribble. And he's not even like going to shoot half the time he gets inside, but he's going to dish it to Capella and he's going to, Capella's going to get a dunk. I just, I love the way that Trey has the Hawks playing right now. Like this is his team and they're playing well. Like, you know, obviously Bogey has been playing great. Bogey's had a really good series on the whole. Game two was bad, but games one, three, and four were good for him. Gallo had a great game four. John Collins finally stepped it up in game four and stepped to the plate. I think that the Hawks have just figured out the Knicks. And you talked about Hunter. Randall's been really bad this series, but, and I know you, you, you know, you're not the biggest Julius Randall fan. This has been established, but I think Deandre Hunter and Capella deserve 80% of the credit for how Randall's played this series. I think they've done a, that good of a job on Randall, you know, not letting him get to his right, you know, forcing him left, forcing him into tough, sh- like doing really good, getting into tough traps. I think they're doing a really good job of guarding Randall. Dude, game three, that had to be Randall's worst game of his career. Two of 15, and, like, it was worse than that. I mean, he was completely shut out. He ended up with 14 points because of free throws, but, man, he was awful. He was awful, awful, awful. They And Hunter was big, but Capella has done a lot, too, like, they have just completely shut him out and they're not letting him get even close to the paint. I think that's really what it is. They're just completely forcing him to be a perimeter player. And yeah, he shot better from three this year, but that's not his game. He's an inside guy and they have forced him out and he's, he's having to pass it a lot more and he's not making good passes. I've said all year, he's not as good of a passer as the assists say he, he passes a lot because he has to, and as we're seeing right now, when he's forced into passing like that, he's just – it's not – it doesn't look as good. And this team is literally Derrick Rose and everyone else. And it's just been tough. I mean, he's gotten pretty much no support, literally. Like, just looking through these game logs, I mean, I will say, Obi Toppin is getting a little bit of love for me. I, I kind of have – I'm kind of thinking of a comp, like, I kind of see him as like a Kuzma type. Mm. I think he could be a really good off-ball guy that next to a superstar is going to be really good. Like, this summer is going to be interesting for the Knicks. I, they're not going to get a superstar, but they could get someone decent. I Like, if Kyle Lowry signed there, would it be shocking? I wouldn't shock me. Him, him next to someone like Lowry, I think he'd be really nice. Here's here's two for you. They can get both these guys, actually. 
Why not try to get Norm and Tim Hardaway Jr.? Oh, wow. They could get both of them. Wow. So would that be Tim Hardaway Jr.'s third time on the Knicks? <laughs> yes, it would be. <laughs> and that the was, second time that, signing with them in free agency. That was the most hilarious thing where they trade him to Atlanta. He finally has a good season because he's not on the Knicks. The Knicks, so the Knicks give away his bird rights. They sign him to, uh, I think it was four for 74. And then, of course, they end up dealing him with Porzingis, which was a disaster of a deal, too. Just giving him away. He was the second best player in that trade. And, I mean, I guess there's still draft picks to be conveyed. But if he went back to the Knicks, that would be – like, I would love to see Zach Griffith's uh, take on that one. <laughs> that would be hilarious. But here's here's my thing, Dylan. I think this team is a couple shot creators from actually, you know, being able to make some real noise, right? Yeah. Because the pieces are there. The defense is there. They just don't have shot creators. And by the way, um, Randall's been terrible. But can we talk about, I don't think Tibbs is using Barrett enough. So I, wrote, I went down. You know, I actually prepared for this one. I wrote down some stats. Randall's usage right now is at 32.3. These are all cleaning the glass stats, by the way. Um, Derek Rose is at 24.9. Barrett's is only at 20.9. Like, the Hawks don't have the defenders to shut him and Randall both down. And Barrett hasn't played awfully. He hasn't been great. But he hasn't really had the chance to show himself. And let's face it, Dylan, the Knicks' success this year was a two-headed monster of Randall and Barrett. It wasn't just Randall. Why aren't they trusting Barrett? Like, I feel like Barrett could give them some of that off-the-bounce juice that they need. Yeah, and Barrett is actually a guy that can cut through that defense. Mm-hmm. Randall, Randall, we've seen cannot, but Barrett can. He's strong enough to get past those guys, and... I mean, he had a pretty damn good game, game four, eight of 15, which when was the last time he shot above 50%? It seems like every time I look at the game log, he's under it. <laughs> so, right. I mean, he's, yeah, I, I think that's probably, I mean, it's probably too late now. We've seen three, one comebacks before, but I would be stunned if the Knicks pulled it off, but to give themselves a chance. Yeah, I agree. Barrett is the guy because Randall Randall's best game was last game. He still shot 37%. Like, he's just not going to get it done. You know Rose can, so do that. Uh, Burks, we've seen. I mean, he hasn't really been good the past few games. But, yeah, I think Barrett would be a good option because he's a guy that you can have. I mean, he's big, man. You could have him You could have him take on Capella, and he could, he could pull it off. Not every time, but he's strong enough to pull that off. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I think that's – a decent pathway to at least making it closer. So I, I went and I looked 27 out of 72 games, Barrett shot over five or over 50%. So not great, but you know, he's a second year player. Yeah. And he has, you brought up the strength, but more importantly, he has the moves. Like he has moves that Randall just doesn't have. Like he, I've seen him, you know, hell, I saw him last year with no space whatsoever, get to the paint at will. And yes, was he bad? Yes, but it wasn't his fault. They had no spacing on the floor. Now they have a modicum of spacing with, you know, if you have Bullock out there, here's my other thing. Why aren't they using Randall as a role guy more? Like he needs to set actual screens. I think a lot of this comes back to Tibbs. I think Tibbs hasn't changed up the way they've played at all on offense. Like they played the same game four games in a row. 
again, game two, they won. This honestly might have been a sweep if Nate hadn't had staggered in game two. Genuinely serious. This might have been a sweep because the Hawks, they just have the Knicks number on offense, but that's because Knicks aren't changing anything. They're doing the same damn thing every time. And if, you know, Derrick Rose is a good enough pick and roll guy where you could have Randall, you know, either pop or roll and you could create stuff that way, but they haven't done that. And plus I think, okay, Randall deserves a little bit of blame in that when he does set picks, rarely he does pop, but like setting screens will help free you up as a, as a scorer more. And he just hasn't done that. Don't even get me started because listen, I, I, I agree with that. And I see this the same way as I see the bucks. I can't wait to talk about Bucks Nets because I'm telling you, I've been pounding Giannis at the five all year, but I'm at the point now where just take the ball out of his hands, make him a pit, make him a roll guy. I think that's their way. And this is, I don't trust him because I know Bud's not going to do it. But listen, my eyes are not deceiving me. Every time Giannis is the roll man, their offense is so much smoother. And now that DiVincenzo's out, which by the way, huge deal for them, even though Forbes and Connaughton have been good. But when you have these big guys, they just love handling the ball now because that's the modern way, and that's how Randall had a good year. I'll give him that. But look what we see. Giannis, the same thing in the playoffs every year. The defense figures a way to shut it down, and we're seeing it with Randall right now. Take the ball out of these big guys' hands. Let them get down low without the ball, then give them the ball. It, It just flows so much easier like that. This Knicks offense has been a disaster, and it's because Randall is trying to force his way in with the ball, and it's the same thing with the Bucks. Like I don't, you. Everyone wants to be Giannis nowadays or uh, uh, Jokic nowadays. Not everyone can be Jokic, and Jokic doesn't do that either. He doesn't force his way down from the perimeter a lot of time. He's either shooting threes or he's getting down low without the ball, and that's why it works. That's how Embiid does it. I don't understand how I can see this and NBA coaches can't, but do not let these big men just try to force their way down low with the ball. Let, let the guards do that. Get the big guys down low, then give them the ball. It's way more efficient that way. And you're not going to have your best players shoot 30, whatever percent from the field in the playoffs. You know, who's like a good example of someone who like does the modern shit, but also, you know, does big man shit. It's actually Sabonis. Like, say what you will, he, you know, he likes to handle the ball, but if there's a ball handler out there, like for Brogdon, let's just say, he'll set the screen, he'll roll hard to the basket. Like, and you know what? That's probably points in his favor for me because he's willing to accept, hey, you know, same with Vooch, right? Vooch doesn't handle the ball in the same way, but he'll he'll set great screens and he'll pop, and that works because Vooch is a great pick and pop big guy. Jonas Valanciunas, he doesn't try to handle the ball at all. He doesn't fit this conversation. I don't even know why I brought him up. Um, (laughs) But, like, Sabonis, to me, he tries and he can do it, but he doesn't do it all the time. And that's, I think, you know, if you do it in moderation, it's better. You're not Nikola Jokic. You can't be. But I think that Randall just needs to, you know – if he dives hard to the rim, now the Knicks don't have any natural playmakers, so this might not work. But if you try, you know, someone will find you, right? Like, it's not it's not out of the question where 
I, I just don't trust Randall to want to make that adjustment either. I think you brought up that Jokic point and it's like, it's not just Jokic, it's KD, it's LeBron. Everyone wants to handle the ball nowadays. This is the way you come up in AAU, right? Like it's just, it's the way it is now. So, okay. I have the Knicks, I have pick and roll, roll man pulled up. So <laughs> Randall only has three field goal attempts in the playoffs, a game out of the pick and roll. That needs to probably bump up to like five or six. Like if you're taking 19 shots, quarter though should be like off of a pick and roll. I, I just, I, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating, but what else? Do, oh, I don't feel like there's much else to talk about in this Hawks Knicks series because the main storylines are Trey and it's, you know, Randall struggling. Yeah. Again, like the, the rest of the Knicks suck. I mean, that's literally what it is. I don't trust any of them. Kevin Knox, four four minutes last game. Good for him. You know, like this this Knicks team was a decent, like it was a nice, it was a nice regular season team, but they're just not ready for the playoffs. I mean, has Randall ever played in the playoffs? I don't think he has. No. So again, like this has been a this has been his a great season for him. Not used to it. What the one guy that has good playoff experience, Derrick Rose, that's the guy doing the stuff. Oh, two guys, two guys here for Derrick oh, Rose Taj, and Taj. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like those, those are the two guys doing stuff. Like Noel, after such a great year, has sucked, man. Like it's, it's pretty interesting how that happened. But I think he's hurt. I think that's part of the reason why he hasn't been as great. I think he's been playing through an injury. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's I mean that would that would explain it. Um but it's just I just I don't know what to say. Like the it, this is what it we've talked about this for the second year now in a row. The 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 supporting cast matters so much. And listen, Derrick Rose has been great, but you got to have someone else and the Hawks have had plenty of someone else's. The Knicks have not. Yeah, and let's just Let's give um, Nate credit. He started playing Solomon Hill in game three. And I took I took a well-deserved victory lap. I don't think he played much in game four. But Solomon Hill can help spell, you know, some of that defense you miss when you have Hunter off the floor. And I think he's going to be key for them as they go along in the playoffs and they, you know, they advance further and further. Um, okay. So I think we're done with the Hawks and the Knicks. Any predictions? Who do you think? How long does this series go and who wins? I just say the Hawks wrap it up. I think they play tonight. And yes, they do. All of these teams play tonight. So yeah, I mean the the Knicks want to act like they're going to extend it. They keep talking, but um, maybe they will. I just feel like the Hawks have kind of cracked the code. So Hawks in five. I will agree. I think the Hawks win tonight. I think there's a chance the Knicks win since it's a home game for them, but it's not looking good for the New York Knickerbockers. <sighs> Um, let's choose the next series. Which would you like to do? These are the, these are two enticing ones. Would you like to get the jazz Grizzlies out of the way and we'll save the barn burner for last? Okay. So the, the jazz have taken control of this series since we did it last week. Um, they've won the last two games. They won game three, 121 to 111, and they won game four, 120 to 113. Um, Dylan, I think the jazz have, I think you said the Nick, the Hawks cracked the Knicks code. I think the the Jazz have cracked the Grizzlies code. Not that like they needed to work too hard to do it because they do, they're doing pretty much what they did in the regular season. But I think this series is over tonight. 
Yeah, honestly, there's not much to say because it's basically been the same as it was last week. Um, I mean, the the Jazz were just so well-rounded. And I'll just say this. Donovan Mitchell has been great. Not very efficient, you know, which is fine, I guess. Mike Conley has been incredible. Incredible. And I would probably say Gobert's been the best player for them this series. But listen, like, I don't think Conley – like, on paper, it looks like Mitchell has probably been better because he's scoring more points, but I don't know. I would uh, – Conley may have been the best player in this – or second-best player. Like, he – on obviously, he's a much better defender, but his passing has been so great, and his shooting. I mean, he's he's at least been on par with, with Mitchell, I would say. It felt like – it feels like Conley hasn't missed this whole series. Like, it feels like – so, okay. So, I wrote down – you know, so Utah is currently shooting 46.4% of their shots from distance, and they're making 41% of them, and that feels low. Conley is at 55%. This is all clean the glass numbers, by the way. O'Neal's at 57%. Bogey's at 42%. Eagles is at 44%. Like, they just can't miss right now. Those guys can't miss. They're getting wide open shots, wide, wide open shots. Conley's not even getting wide open shots. Conley's hitting crazy step back threes. He's just... You want to? Know, I wrote in my notes. Conley is fucking his old team. Like he is just straight fucking them. Like that's the only way you could describe it because he's just absolutely shit canning them. They don't have, They don't stand a chance, really. Like the Grizzlies, and it's sad because we love the Grizzlies, but they Conley just has their number. I would say he's probably been. I'm not gonna say their best player because I think Gobert's been their best player. But I would say it's not. It's without a doubt he's been their second best player in this series. I don't think they can win the title if he's their second best player. But I think that in this series, he's been their second best player. Well, they probably can't win the title if Gobert's their best player either. Probably, but I'm, I'm being generous here. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I feel I, like people on our network in particular, everyone hates the Jazz, but we got a real you know great collection of Jazz haters. We got Caleb Lynn. We got J.D. Hall. We got Bryce Shaddy. We got Zach Griffith. You know, basically everyone that's not us. And I don't, you don't particularly like them either. I feel like I have to go to great lengths to defend them, even though I don't particularly particularly like them myself. But it's like this team is so like I just love how efficient they are. You know, like I love and it's probably weird of me to say that because, you know, cold basketball just isn't entertaining to some people. I just love how they can always get an open shot. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, I like the team like I I just doubt them. And listen, it's not that I hate Gobert. I just think that. He thinks he's better than he is, and I wouldn't say the fans think that because I think his perception has gone down a lot in recent years. But, I mean, he's undoubtedly, like, very impactful. Like, and I think this series he's shown that how important he could be on offense. And we talked so much about the shooting, but, I mean, I would say his presence unlocks a lot of that shooting because when you have that pick-and-roll presence – you know, the, the defense has to pick their poison. You're either going to let Gobert get one-on-one at the rim or you're going to let someone get an open three. And, hey, all these guys can hit open threes. <laughs> so that's, that's why they've been so good this year. And, I mean, I like a lot of the guys on this team. Like, I mean, I love Bogey, obviously, was a pacer. Royce O'Neal has been really fun to watch the past two years for me. Obviously, Conley has been one of my favorite point guards for – I don't know, eight years now. And Mitchell uh, was one of my favorite guys in that draft. Jordan Clarkson, like, I really like this team. 
Um, you know, so I'll, I'll defend them with you. I just, like, I'll occasionally throw some shade, but that's, that's just uh, how it goes. I don't think I overrate Gobert. I think he's, you know, great regular season presence. And against a team like Memphis, he can make a huge difference in the playoffs. The problem is you play the best of the best in the playoffs. You play guys like Katie, LeBron, Steph Curry. You know, those guys can play him off the floor. And that's not fair to Gobert because it's like, hey, you know, those are the best of the best. But unfortunately, that's the standard. You Like right now, okay? I told you, I have him 25th. And he might move a little down. I don't know. But I think that, you know, his regular season exploits aren't like too good to be denied. But um, let's let's get back to the series in particular. He's been great. But Donovan Mitchell, you brought up the efficiency, but I really like the amount of times he's been getting to the free throw line in this series. That's really encouraging. He's at 28 attempts right now. I did not realize he had been to the line that much. I think if he can keep getting the line that much, that could be a huge boon for them against whoever wins between Dallas and Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, that's for a lot of these guys, that's like the second progression for them. Or maybe not the second, but one of the earlier progressions is like, okay, can you score on a decent rate? Yeah, you got that. Can you pass? Can you attack, you know, closeouts? You got that? Okay. Can you get to the rim? Can you get fouled? Like, that's where you get to the point where it's like, okay, you're a top 10 scorer in the league. And I don't think Mitchell is that far out from being one of the best scorers in the league. I mean, we again, we saw it last playoffs. The dude can score in bunches, man. I mean, he could drop 50 at any moment. Like, he has that talent. And getting to the line, those that's free points. That's why they call them free throws. You get, you know, you take a shot, you get to the line. And there's there's just some guys around the league that don't do it enough, and it just limits limits them. But, yeah, we've, you know, it's, we're seeing good things out of Mitch, uh, Mitchell because last, last season it was the passing. The passing got a lot better. Obviously, off the dribble shooting was the biggest thing, but his passing got better. So it's like, okay, so he can score and pass. Now he can score, pass, and he's starting to get free throws. So he's he's pretty quickly ascending up the list for me as, as just a, like an offensive hub. I mean, he's really proving himself. Yeah, and I think that – listen, I'll always have issues with his efficiency, right? Like that's not – going to ever be his strong suit because he's six one. But if you can get to the line that offsets the efficiency, right? If you become 10 times more efficient, just because you're getting, you know, this year he got to the line six times a game. I didn't realize for the season. That's pretty good. That's obviously not where you want. It's not like superstar level or anything, but that's star level. You know, you're starting to get more respect from the referees. And I think that that's going to be good for him. Um, I think that, you know, if he can take advantage of that this whole playoffs, then they have a real shot of going to the conference finals. And they might, the way the West is shaking out right now, they might have a chance to go to the finals. <laughs> as crazy as it is to say, because I think we agree. We think the Lakers is fully healthier, the best team in the West Conference. But what's that problem? What's those two words? Fully healthy. AD, buddy, you need to get your shit together. Otherwise, you guys might go out in the first round. And I... I think that that's a great series. We're not talking about that here. Um, anything else on the Jazz before we move on to the Grizzlies? No. Okay. So the Grizzlies. This is painful for me. We got to start with Jaron Jackson. I, I hate it because I think he really – so John Dylan Brooks are fucking balling out right now, right? JV is playing really well. JJJ, all right? So I, I ran the cleaning the glass numbers earlier today. 
When he's on the floor, the team is minus 14. They have a 108.7 offensive rating and a 122.7 defensive rating. And the Jazz are shooting 42% from three when he's on the floor. Almost 43, he round up. According to Cleaning the Glass. Like, it's not... He's been really bad, and I feel so bad because last year was such a good year for him. I just... You know, we kept saying, oh, bring Jaron back, bring Jaron back, you know, why sit him this long? Maybe they should have just sat him the whole season. Hmm, interesting. I don't know, like, I'm never going to be a guy that's just going to say, oh, he sucks, so it's injuries. I, I kind of hate that excuse. It very well could be the case, but, you know, who knows? But, you know, I was thinking yesterday – the team we're talking about right now and the team we're about to talk about next, very similar. I, I think is Jaron Jackson, Chris Stapps, Porzingis. I mean, Chris Stapps last year was so fucking good until he got hurt, right? And this season, listen, he's been fine. But, again, we're about to talk. That series is tied all of a sudden, and it's because Porzingis has just not been a superstar. He's been – He's been really – he's been good. He's not been enough. And I'm just looking at this Grizzlies team like, man, like John Moran has taken a huge leap. He's like – you know, he's not Luka Doncic, but he's pretty damn good. And that other guy that's supposed to be there right alongside him is just not really there. And, you know, I hate to say it because we both love Jaron Jackson and we want him to be awesome. And – I don't know. We kind of think he might be the best prospect on this team, but he's just not showing up. So the Kristaps comparison is an interesting one, but here's the difference for me. Kristaps at least played the whole year, right? And my thing is, Jaron isn't sucking because of the injuries. I think he's sucking because they were a successful team and they're like, oh, hey, you're Jaron Jackson Jr. We're going to throw you back into this mix. When they, if they were going to do that, they should have thrown him in the mix 14 games sooner. He only played 11 games this year. I don't think he was ready for the playoffs. I really don't because he's not this bad of a shooter. We've seen him make 40% of his threes for a whole year, right? He's at 27% from the three point line right now. I think I honestly would bench him. Like, I, as crazy as it sounds, not like maybe for the whole game. But he's been really bad when he's at the five. He's been really bad when he's at the four. And what else are you supposed to do? I honestly, I don't know why. Um, I don't know why Jenkins isn't going with. So, okay, this is the lineup I would run in crunch time. So, John at the one, Melton at the two, Brooks at the three, Anderson four, JV five. Especially against this team where they play, where Bogey is the four, you would have so much, you know, the team would be able to stick together on the perimeter. I just don't understand and they're playing Grayson Allen. I like Grayson Allen, but he's played. He should Melton should be playing way more than Grayson Allen. I'll say. I think Grayson Allen's a fine player. He's kind of like a Pat Connaughton guy to me, actually. Funny enough, brought up Pat Connaughton earlier. I think Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton very kind of similar players. But I think I just I don't understand some of the coaching decisions. And maybe you know he's being pressured by the front office to play Jaron, but I, I just don't think he should be playing as much as he has been. Listen, I think the bigger deal is what you just mentioned that Melton is playing less than Allen. Allen is a fine shot maker, good off ball guy, 
D'Anthony Melton is legitimately a great two-way player. I mean, this is a guy that's really found his shot this year, can pass a bit, and is a good defender. Like, he came into the league as a defender. His offense was very raw. Now, he is bas- he can basically give you the same stuff as Grayson Allen while also giving you defense. And, as you mentioned, he can help you go small. The thing with Jaron Jackson, the thing is, their depth is just disintegrating before our eyes. I mean, so we went from, you know, me and you were both against Tillman taking over for Clark's time. Now Tillman and Clark are both out. <laughs> I mean, this game four, neither of them played. Game three, Clark played seven minutes. So they're going small. And I mean, I'm not going to say it's not working because they've been close every game. They've, this has been a close series. Like the final score may say, oh, the Jazz won by 10 or whatever, but the, the Grizzlies have been keeping it close up until, you know, towards the end of the game. Like pretty much every fourth quarter, it's been tight. So I'm not going to say it's not working. Like the Jazz are more talented. That's what it comes down to. So, I don't know. I mean, Jaron Jackson is certainly not helping them, but I don't know if he's hurting them so much because what, I don't know. I just don't know if if the guy that you're going to give those minutes to is really going to be that much better. That's fair. I just feel like I hate doing this to Jaron because, you know, he's probably one of my favorite, not one of my favorite. He probably is my favorite young guy in the league, right? Like based on what he did last year. I think that, you know, when he's on, he's full of swagger and confidence. I just think that swagger and confidence isn't there right now. Again, because he only played 11 games coming into the playoffs, and they were doing really well before they reinserted him into the lineup. And then they, you know, they kind of sputtered a little bit before they got the train back on the tracks. I'm pretty sure Jaron was playing in those. Uh, remember when we did Grizzlies week and like the week before they'd lost to the Pistons and the Magic back to back? Like, I'm pretty sure Jaron played in both those games. And it's not his fault, you know, because he's he's 21, right? He's such a young fucking player. I just think he needed more, t- more, you know, wind under his wind in his sails this season. I think that's probably the appropriate analogy to use. And he doesn't have it. And again, not entirely his fault. But I think the Grizzlies management should have realized, okay, Maybe this just isn't the year we break out Jaron. We, you know, get him back to full strength. We give him a training camp. Hey, Jaron, you're good to go next year. You go play 60 games and you do what you did in 2020, right? I don't, I just, I think that him being hampered kind of ruined the, not ruined because they weren't going to probably do that great against the Jazz anyway. But I think that, you know, that edge that the Jazz have could, you know, maybe cost the Grizzlies a game or two. Yeah, and again, I don't know how much of a chance they stood anyway. I mean, first of all, I'll say I'm really happy the Grizzlies did end up making the playoffs because I don't think the Warriors would have competed this well. We talked ourselves into it because of Curry, but, I mean, Ja Ja has probably done what Curry would do, you know? Like, the shooting's not there, but he's Ja has been fantastic. And they have a much better supporting cast than Golden State did. So I'll just say first that that – Really happy that worked out because with the play-in, again, you don't know. We didn't know. Like, the best team may not always win. It's the best team that day. And the Grizzlies won two games, and they got in, and they put up a hell of a fight. 
but you know, it's just that jazz shooting is so damn good and they have way more star talent. I just, I don't know. Cause Dylan Brooks has the thing is Dylan Brooks has been better than he usually is. So you can say all you want about Jaron Jackson, not being as good, but Dylan Brooks has been way better than he usually is. So like, obviously there's the defense, but shooting, he is never this efficient from the field. I mean, he has been really good every game, pretty consistent all around. So, you know, there's always trade-offs. Like one guy sucks, one guy's way better. So I just don't think that the Grizzlies were going to do much anyway, but again, they're keeping it close and that's moving forward. That's really nice for them. For sure. Let's talk about, let's talk about Ja real quick. Um, He's been fucking incredible. He's been fearless going at Rudy Gobert, you know, really creative floaters, really creative ways to finish, you know, in the paint. Like I would say, you know, what he's doing in the paint right now is really fucking impressive. Like with Gobert in there. And if he wasn't shooting threes, he'd be like 58% from the field right now. (laughs) Like that's how good he's been in the, like, in two point range. And I mean, Dylan, I think it's safe to say Jaws arrived. Like, I don't think this is a fluke. We've known how talented he is, but I don't think that, you know, is it crazy to say he was just saving his best for the playoffs? I don't know, man. I mean, it's again, I think I said this earlier, but it's like, it's kind of like a Donovan Mitchell last year. Like some, some of these guys, they just get, when it's time to show up, they show up. And Jaw this series and the play-in, I mean, the Spurs game, he wasn't as good, but that Warriors game, man, oh, my God. I mean, we watched it in person together. Like, that game was amazing. He was incredible, that game. Incredible. And he's basically been the same player this series, just taking over. And, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily saving it or if it's just, like, this is playoffs, I got to be that guy. Cause like Dame Lillard does the same thing every year, you know, it's like, is he, is he saving it for the playoffs or is he just that good when it matters? So who knows, but either way, really fun to watch. And again, him, him being this good in the playoffs makes me even more excited for their future than I already was. Like, honestly, I'm loath to throw this comparison out and you know, Again, we talked about him earlier. I love this guy. He was my favorite player as a kid. I really see young Derrick Rose comparisons now. Like, I didn't see it during the regular season because he didn't shoot this much. But the way he's been playing in these playoffs, the way he's, you know, manipulating the defense, getting the crazy finishes to go, you know, just like manipulating guys to get like either easy layups or floaters. And his floater has been automatic in this series. Like, it doesn't matter where he shoots it from. He's really going to be like a problem next year if this keeps up. And they get the team. The team has to get better. Like, there's nowhere to go but up from here. Like, obviously, you can catastrophic catastrophe can always is always around the corner. But realistically, I think this team has nowhere to go but up. And I really want to see Jaws ascension because I feel like he could be a special part of that. Um, is it safe to say we think the series is over after tonight, though? Yes, I, I would have to agree. I think they they just can't stop the Jazz, and I think the. I just don't think they're on the Jazz level. I okay. I thought the Warriors would put up a better fight against the Jazz. I was clearly wrong. 
The Grizzlies have been a remarkable surprise. I'm very happy for it. Anything to further boost my Grizzlies propaganda, I will take with with Lee. So, and we only have one series left, Dylan Hughes. And this is a complete flip-flop from last week. So last week, as you know, the Mavericks were up 2-0. This week, they are tied 2-2. The Clippers won game three, 118 to 108. And then they stomped the Mavs in game four, 106 to 81. Um, Dylan, a lot of factors, I would say, went into that game four loss. But where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Paul George and Kawhi or do you want to start with Luka? Well, I mean, Paul George and Kawhi, that hasn't been the difference to me. I mean, don't get me wrong. Kawhi has been insane. I mean, 13 of 17 game three, 11 of 15 game two. And, you know, Paul George was – or game four, I meant. Paul George has been good. He was better in game three, but – for me, the Clippers, like, like we talked about those two already. Those two, in the first two games they lost, were both pretty damn good. But we're starting to see some of these other guys. So, Marcus Moore stepped up a bit. Reggie Jackson has been a lot better. As a shot maker especially, a lot better. Here's, here's the thing. Patrick Beverly, 11 minutes and two games combined. He's just out of it. And honestly, I think that has helped a lot because, again, they needed creation on the floor. And, and Reggie Jackson and Rondo just give a lot more creation. And that has just helped open a lot of things up. The other thing, which we saw game four, Batum. Batum, who was in the starting lineup a lot in the regular season, I mean, I would say he's better for their defense than their offense, but his passing is still great, um, the spacing. So, you know, again, Kawhi and Paul George have obviously been awesome, but again, I keep I said it last week. This is last year's Lakers. You got the two guys. You just need everyone else to chip in. The first two games they weren't chipping in. Now they're chipping in. And you know, we can get to Luca too. Obviously, his injury has been a big deal, but and I think it still will continue to be a big deal. But the Clippers having those other guys step up, that's been the difference to me. So I think you brought up that they haven't changed much, but I would argue them getting to the rim at a more concentrated way the last two games, Kawhi and PG, has been probably the biggest difference. I think PG came out and said after game three, they don't have a rim protector we're scared of. And so I I wrote down some stats because I was curious, right? So I believe 55% of the Clippers' field goal attempts when Chris Stapps is on the floor – are coming either at the rim or in the short mid range. So 55% of their shots are coming in the paint. And not only that, in the regular season, um, Kawhi got to the paint 25% of the time and PG got to the paint 27% of the time. Those numbers have both bumped up. Kawhi's at 32% and PG's at 31% of their shots are in the paint. Like, I think that's huge. That's huge because those guys, that's how you get your jump shooters open jump shots and like, that's just the proven way to do it. And they've been a lot better about doing that. And I think that that in itself might be the difference in the series because the, the Mavericks don't have any like elite rim protectors. 
they really don't. Chris Stapps is, you know, alleged to be an elite rim protector, but he hasn't been that. And I think that the more shots at the rim they take, the, the better it will be for the Clippers because the shooters on the Clippers, they have the best shooting team in the league. Say what you will about them, but they're the best shooting team in the league. And they've, you know, I think they're better than Utah personally. Like just how many shooters they can have on any given time. Like they had seven guys over 40% this year <laughs> from three. It's crazy. So I, I think if those guys are getting the lane, there's not really much you can do to stop them personally. Yeah. And I think a big part of that again is going small. They like taking Zubach out of the middle too has helped a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, you know, they only did it this past game, but well, Zubach only played 11 minutes game three, game four, he played more minutes off the bench, but you you start Batum. So you have a ton more space. So driving is not as difficult. So, you know, that's, again, Caleb Blinn with his Ty Lu hate, there's an adjustment for you. <laughs> I mean, he, he opened things up for him, and it's made it a lot easier. But, you know, to flip the script, I, I meant to mention this last week at the Mavericks, and I didn't. Tim Hardaway Jr. was too hot early on, and that was a clear bubbling point that I was worried about. And, again, I forgot to mention it. But 4 of 14 in game three and 1 of eight last game. So, you know, Luka, despite the injury, has still played really well. I mean, 9 of 24 last game, like you could tell it was bothering him. Like he was cringing pretty much every time he could. <laughs> and he only had 19 points, which 19, six and six for him is like a bad game. And when you don't have Hardaway, who's by far been their second best player. Well, I guess the past two games, you could argue he's not now, but he was in the first two games. And that shooting again, as I mentioned last week, that shooting opens everything up. When you have two guys that can get shots for other guys like that, and again, back to Porzingis, just not good enough on defense, not good enough on offense. Like, listen, on the rare, on the numbers, he's fine. Game four, seven to 12 for 18 points. That's what you want out of a guy that you're paying 20 mil a year, not your superstar that you traded a bunch of stuff for, you know? Like, he's just playing down a role from where he, is, he should be. Like, he's based, like, that's what Hardaway should be doing. Not Porzingis. And last year, again, the reason I was so high on the Mavericks last year was because Porzingis was scoring 30 points a night. That's the difference. When he's not scoring 30 a night, you need everyone else to step up. And for God's sakes, Boban was their third highest score game four. (laughs) I mean, come on. I mean, Boban's like, it's funny watching Boban because he's just, he's unguardable because of how tall he is. Like he just gets points every time he gets the ball. He's a disaster on defense, but that like if you need Boban to reignite your offense, you got major problems. Yeah, and it's just tough because like if Chris Stapps isn't that guy, then you what you have is a bunch of overqualified or you have a bunch of guys who aren't qualified to fill the role that you need them to fill. Like we liked him Hardaway Jr. a lot. I think he'd be better as fourth option than a third option. He's the third option on this team. So when he, when Porzingis isn't playing well, he has to be the second option. And having a guy that's your fourth option as your second option 
Now, granted, Hardaway Jr. is in a contract year. So, you know, contract year guys always play better. But here, like, I just, he was bound, they were bound for aggression, right? Like, I think last game they shot five for 30 from three. And they were due for some aggression. And part of that was just Luca was hitting the fucking craziest shots in the first two games. And if he's injured, then they're toast because they don't have any other methods of shot creation to get them efficient shots. I, it, at least in my opinion, I just don't think that like Brunson is good, right? Like Hardaway is good. Kleba is good, but he's not going to create shots for himself. Same for Vinny Smith. And then, you know, Josh Richardson experiment just is bomb spectacularly in their face. Like, could you imagine if they had Seth Curry right now instead of Josh Richardson? Things would probably be, they honestly probably would have won one of the two games in Dallas, I would say. Because Seth Curry, he like I said, he was 0 for 4 last game in Washington. But in a home game, he's not going 0 for 4. And he hits a couple of those threes, you're back in the game. So I just, I think that this is a roster full of some guys. And Luca. And if Chris Stapps is a guy, that's a huge problem because you're paying a guy $30 million a year. <laughs> and you can't afford – like, no team is in a position – like, we saw what happened with Andrew Wiggins in Minnesota. Like, they were lucky. They had to give up a first-round pick to get D'Angelo Russell. And it's not because they were trading for D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> it's because they had to get off of Wiggins' contract. So, I just oh, – I hate – I wish Chris Stapps was good. I love Chris Stapps Porzingis when he's on. He's one of the most entertaining guys in the league. But if he's like, if he's doing this, then they're fucked. Yeah. And again, I think it all comes down to Luca again, because like, just look at the difference between game three and game four. Like Luca was injured, but he still put up 44. They lost by 10. So like they were in it this past game. They had no shot. And when you don't – Luca offsets a lot of their issues. And as I mentioned last week and before as well, Luca opens everything up. He makes everything easier. He's like LeBron. When you take LeBron off the Lakers, they, they basically suck. You know, look at, look at how far they fell in the standings when he was out. Because it's not that the guys around LeBron are really good. It's that he makes them really good. He makes them the best version of themselves. It's the same thing with Luca. When Luca is not Luca, those all other guys are all of a sudden they regress to what they actually are without Luca or with just a watered down version. It's not as good. And when Porzingis on top of it is just not I mean 12 shots. Come on. You're paying you're being paid 30 million for 12 shots. That's what Rui shot last game. I mean, that's it's just not not good enough. And again, I, I I still think Porzingis has it in him. I just I can't really pinpoint what's different from last year. He was just bombing away from three and nailing him. He only shot two threes this past game. That that's his advantage. He's seven three. No one can guard you. Go to the top of the key and shoot threes. I just I don't get it. Yeah, and when Chris Stapps is on. I personally, I've never been, you know, like the, since he's left New York, I haven't thought Chris Stapps, like he is definitely not the same player he was in New York. Like in New York, this guy, you know, was a crazy athlete. He can't do that anymore. And it's sad to say because he's like 25, right? But we were talking about big guys with injuries earlier with Embiid. 
like to kind of bring that full circle, this is what, kind of what happens, right? Chris Stapps isn't as effective anymore because he's, and obviously he's still, you know, he was good in last year's playoffs. He was good for the majority of this regular season, yada, yada, yada. But he is not the same guy he was in New York. He never was a great rebounder in New York to begin with. And then you throw him at center here in Dallas. And yeah, he averages 9.5 rebounds a game. But when you're the only big guy in the floor, you should probably be averaging like 12, 13 rebounds. Like if you threw Sabonis in Dallas, you know, you'd probably get pretty similar offensive production with like 14 rebounds a game because he'd be the only big guy on the floor. I, I just think that he's not good enough anymore. It's crazy to say, I don't know what the difference is. Maybe he just got worse. He's been dealing with injuries this year too, if I'm not mistaken, but he's just, I think that's what's going to keep happening. He's going to keep dealing with these small injuries and he's going to lose whatever he had left. And as crazy as it is to say, Dylan, he might be out of the league like within the next five years. Like if he keeps on this downward trajectory, because the way he's playing in this series is not a guy that you would even want to bring off your bench. Maybe, maybe you'd bring him as a six man. Right. But like, it's just, it's just rough. And I don't know what the path forward is for him other than, you know, to bounce back fully healthy. I don't know either. And again, a lot of it is injuries. I mean, we talked about Embiid. He's had basically the same amount of injuries as Embiid. And again, another super tall guy, and he's not as heavy as Embiid, but when you're seven feet tall, you're naturally going to be heavy. Like, you're going to have a lot of weight, and your knees are not good. Again, it's just seven-foot guys do not have good knees, especially if you play sports. And Porzingis has figured that out just like Embiid. And, you know – Porzingis' game is different because he's more of a perimeter guy. Like, Embiid does a lot of banging down low. You know, there's a lot more wear and tear. But either way, Porzingis gets hurt pretty much every year. And was it was it actually his Achilles he hurt in New York? Was it his ACL? I believe he tore his ACL, but Achilles – no, it was his ACL. It was his ACL. Okay. Um, thankfully, I pulled up basketball reference right, right while his basketball reference page right while you asked that. It's yeah, I mean ACLs for a big guy are even like are still tough. Like Achilles is obviously the worst injury in all the sport. But would you like to guess after his rookie year what Kristaps' career high in games played is? Oh geez, uh, I feel like fifty would be too high. <laughs> well, no, you're okay. So he played 66 games the second year. Okay. Which is a good amount, but still not, not good for your second year. <laughs> and yeah. then his third year, he played 48 games, and that was the year he tore his ACL. Fourth year, he got traded to Dallas. Fifth year, last year, he played 57 games. And this year, he only played 43. And I would imagine the the less than 60 range is where he's going to stay in games played for the rest of his career. I don't know what kind of value there is in that personally. I just, how many more years does he have left on his contract? I think they gave him five years off his. Yeah, they did. So he's got a player option in 2023, 24 that he would be dumb not to accept. So you got four more years of this. I mean, Dylan, let's just, let's just be real here. What are you going to get for Chris Porzingis if you try to trade him? I don't even want to think about trades right now because half the league, I think, could be right. traded this offseason. But, like, you can't get – you probably – my point is, 
I don't know what you would get for Porzingis at this point. Like, who wants him? He's making 29 million. Or he's making 31 million next year. So he's be making 33 the year after that. He's going to be making 36 the year after that. Yeah, you've got to find a again, like the the Wiggins thing is a good comp, I think, because you got to find a guy that another team hates too. It's like, hey, we'll give you our guy we hate for your guy you hate, and just see what happens. And maybe one of those teams throws in a first round pick, but. I mean, the way the league is right now, there's not a ton of guys that are on super bloated contracts. Like Horford is an example, and I don't know. That's a decent idea. Horford, like mm-hmm. Porzingis could just go and fucking sit a year in Oklahoma City since apparently that's what they want to do is just get guys and sit them. Um, You'll never forgive but, Sam Presti. <laughs> no, I won't. But, you know, like Tobias Harris, terrible contract, but he's good enough. Like, you're not going to get him. Like, I don't know. I think Horford, like Kemba Walker, like that's the kind of guy you're looking at. And that's not like – that's not exactly great pickings over there. Like, and plus, your your method of getting Porzingis to Oklahoma City is gone because we all know Oklahoma City wants nothing more than first-round picks, right? Well – where two of their first round picks right now in New York. They're not going to be able to trade a first round pick. They're not going to be able to trade a first round pick until the 2025 draft. I don't know if I'd want to trade a 2025 first round pick to get Al Horford. Well, listen, Alex, you got to remember Sam Presti's building this team for his son. He, he's, he's getting picks way out so his son can come in and take over. I don't even know if he has a son, but we're just saying he does. His son is going to come and take it over. He's got to get through middle school and high school and college, but he'll take it over and the team will be ready for him. So they can throw out like a 2039 pick and they'll be happy. You know, this is a really, really random thought. And I apologize for posing this to you on a basketball podcast. Do you know, like Sam as a woman's name is short for Samantha. Yeah. What is Sam short for in a men's name? Samuel. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was dumb. I was like, wait a minute. What name starts with Sam? Um, no, it, it's Samantha. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I'm keeping it in the podcast. Um, <laughs> the future is looking really interesting for Dallas because Luke is a championship kind of guy. I think we can get, I think we can draw that conclusion, right? Like, I think that's, that's fair. It's just, well, what will they do with the roster around him? You know, losing those two first round picks is going to be huge because now your trade, your trade chance is already slim, right? You don't have any young prospects on this team. What's the path forward? Like, I think that's a legitimate question at this point. Like, they don't have any young guys to draw. Like, Jalen Brunson might be your best guy, and he's going to be a, a restricted free agent either this year or next. I'm going to check. He's got one more year left in his contract, so he's going to be a restricted free agent after the next season. And then what do you think teams are going to be calling? Yeah. Saying, Hey, give me Nicola belly. Right. <laughs> like there's no in-demand high guys. I Dylan, when we did the, did Dallas screw this all up as this was my point. Like, I know we did this pretty recently. This is my point. Like they don't have any assets to get better. Like they're pretty locked into this team unless they have to get a superstar this off season. Otherwise they're fucked. Okay, I have an interesting trade idea for Porzingis. So, Kyle Lowry is going to go where he wants to go, right? Mm -hmm. They have, like, the the Raptors have no choice in that. 
let's say he wants to go and say, hey, Luca needs another guy. I'll go join Luca. And the Raptors can either say, okay, we're going to take nothing back or we're going to take Porzingis back. Maybe they choose nothing. Or maybe they say, hey, we'd rather just have Dorian Finney-Smith or something like that. But the Raptors, like, I know they kind of maybe want to win, but it seems like Masai may not even want to stick around much longer. So maybe they're like, oh, we'll just take our draft pick this year and see what Porzingis can turn into, and that we'll call it a day. I don't think that's too far to left field. I don't think so either. I don't know, though. Oh, that one's tough. It's interesting. I like it. I like it a lot. My only thing would be would just be like, Dallas has like 20 million in cap space. Why trade for Lowry when you can just bring him in, you know, yourself? Well, you get, well, by getting rid of Porzingis, then you, you know, keep some of that cap space and maybe there's someone else out there that. True. You have. So I don't know. And plus Lowry, I think would be amenable to a sign and trade more so than like, you know, especially since he's been with the Raptors so long, he's going to be, you know, first Raptor to have his jersey retired. There's going to be a Kyle Lowry statue, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, a, that's an interesting idea. Um, I think we're we're done with this series. Um, I'm going to say Clippers in six. What do you got? Uh, I say Clippers in seven. I, I mean, obviously the Luka injury is a big deal, but see now – Hardaway Jr. has been so bad for two games. Now I think it flips back around and he's good. So I don't know. I, I could see them figuring it out. Because, again, as I just said, Luca is the only guy that matters. If, if Luca's great, these other guys are going to be fine. And that's as we saw in the first two games, that's good enough for them. And, yes, the Clippers have gotten better, so it's going to be tougher. But I don't know. I I think that they'll they can figure out a way to win two more. But Clippers most likely pull it out either way. I think that that's probably a good way to end it. Um, I, again, I forgot to do this at the top of the show. Please rate, subscribe, and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any issues with what Dylan and I said, at CalebLynn1 on Twitter is both of our ats. So um, make sure you at him. In all seriousness, if you, uh, you know, if you want to give us feedback, positive feedback, please, you know, don't, please don't say anything that hurt our feelings. Um, at AlexBurf4 and at by Dylan Hughes. Um, Dylan has... You know, interesting thoughts on Twitter. Not not all of them basketball related, but you know that's I that's why I like to podcast with him because he saves all this good stuff for the pod. Um, from one soul to another. All right, I'm going to hack into Uber technology, and I'm going to give you one star. Or if you use Lyft, I'm going to give you one star. So if you want to use either of those apps, no one is going to want to take you because they're like, oh fuck this guy. They have one star, and you know what? You could have saved yourself the trouble if you bought the book for $7.50 or $5 digital. How'd I do, Dylan? It's really good. I'm just, there's a little bit of an issue is uh, the potential for drunk driving. Um, but, you know, we'll just act like that's not a possibility. Yes, we'll, we'll, we're going to be in a, listen, my threats are so out of left field. We're just going to act like everything's perfect. No one's drunk. You need to, you need to get home. You need to find a ride to the subway, right? Let's just say yeah, and, and you can't. So that, that's kind of my ideal. Yes. If you are driving drunk, please use an Uber. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll fix your rating. We'll fix your rating if you're drunk. But otherwise, yes. fuck you. Yes. Yes. That's that's a good caveat, Dylan. I, I can't be too evil on here, can I? So um, Divine Rhyme, you guys, we had a little bit of a snafu this last weekend with getting me the Divine Rhyme, but we finally got it. It's out today with uh, the offseason by J. Cole. How'd that one go, Dylan? 
It was good, man. It was good. Uh, me and Will, you know, back at it, doing our thing with J. Cole. It was a fun show. So, yes, and I think Divine Rhyme is taking – they're not recording any new ones because Dylan will be on vacation. So I think it'll be, like, maybe a week or two before the next uh, Divine Rhyme. But, hey. Yeah, I wanted to try to squeeze it in this week, but um, – it was just kind of tough to match me and Will's schedule up in time. So we're going to get some extra prep for Sturgill Simpson and we'll be, we should be uh, recording next week when I get back. So yeah, there, there you have that. So that'll be fun. Um, Lynn Sanity is, uh, you know, they have two this week, one with Zach and Bryce and one with uh, JD that'll be out tomorrow. And then um, they'll be, all three of those guys will be on next week. Kale will be, will be on with me filling in for Dylan and then Battleground will be back next week. So that'll be fun because Caleb's not doing two insanities next week. So make sure you check that out. Triple Option Pass should be back next week. And um, doing Shoulda, Coulda, Woulda for two Big 12 teams in, I believe, 2016 that could have won the national championship. So do some digging, you know, if you want to you wanna preview that for yourself. Um, and I think I plugged all the shows I need to plug. Oh, Circle City Cinema is taking a little bit of hiatus. But that's about it. And um, Dylan Hughes, no words of wisdom this week. I just would like to thank you for joining me. Thank you.